0: lead Mick Dettmann is squeezing through on Naturalism's emanations there with heroicity and here comes the and across the and across down the outside is motoring home Naturalism the leader the and across is by inches wearing him down Naturalism still in front he ran out near the line but Naturalism went the wins the half This podcast is brought to you by finished. Racing New Calvary South Wales Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed The Curlmore Classic is one of the more modest Group Ones of the Autumn Carnival with $600,000 on offer. It is, however, one of the most interesting because it brings together the best fillies and mares available under quality conditions over the Rose Hill 1500 metres. The winner is immediately exempt from ballot for the Doncaster and the Queen of the Turf. The Curlmore began as a principal race 50 years ago, becoming a Group Two in 1979 and a Group 1 in 1996 when Coolmore took over the naming rights. For a few years it was the only Group 1 race in Australia for fillies and mares. Nowadays you can add the Empire Rose, the Tats Tiara, the Sangster Stakes in Adelaide and Sydney's Queen of the Turf. Opinions will differ about the best fillies and mares to win the Coolmore but you'll get no argument if you include 1984 winner Emancipation and the Great Sunline who Won it twice, the second time with 60 kilos. She's the only dual winner of the race. The Coolmore on March 11 will be supported by the important two year old races, the Pago Pago and the Magic Knight, plus four other group races the Ajax, Farlap, Morris McCartan, and Sky High Stakes. Coolmore Classic Day, March 11, just one week out from the Golden Slipper. It's Group 1 racing every Saturday right through to the Championships on the 1st and 8th of April. In more than four decades of race riding, the one thing Robbie Frad has never been short of is energy. The dynamic South African jockey has had a massive number of race rides and has travelled the world to ply his trade. He's always been readily accessible to racing administrations and to media while his race-riding technique was something else again. His strength and vigour were his trademarks, his will to win was legendary, and his fitness beyond question. Imagine Robbie's feelings late last year, when he found himself puffing and panting at the end of his races. His energy levels diminished to the extent that he'd only need to sit on a lounge for five minutes and he'd fall asleep. Finally, he went to see a cardiologist who wired him up and put him on a treadmill. Eight minutes into the session, and Robbie knew he was in trouble. An angiogram was quickly arranged, which revealed the outcome he didn't want to know about. Two major coronary artery blockages, one at 80%, the other at 90 Surgery was hastily arranged, and the champion jockey, Underwent a five hour multiple bypass procedure. At 58 years of age, thoughts of retirement had already started to creep into his mind, but he certainly hadn't set a date to call time on his career. A career which had brought him somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 winners. He's only now regretting the fact that he can't come up with official figures. Group 1 winners, he thinks around 15, but he's not sure. Indisputably, he's been one of the best riders of his generation and has proven it on the world stage against many elite jockeys. He's had the good fortune to ride some champion horses in Hong Kong, Singapore and South Africa. We catch up with Robbie Fradd as he makes good post-operative progress and begins to ponder his future. Robbie, great to talk.
1: Thank you so much, John. It's uh, only a pleasure to be on you.
0: Thank you very much. You've been going a million miles an hour since you graduated from the Jockeys Academy in Durban. You've been one of the busiest jockeys in racing history and running out of puff has never been a problem for you.
1: No, John, it hasn't. Actually, I've I've always... Um uh, being very, very fit, I've always said that in order to be successful um, and to be the best at at your profession, uh, fitness is a big, big um, asset. Um, I always said that. And um, when I was pretty much in South Africa and Hong Kong, um, I did a lot of fitness, was at the gym, playing a lot of squash, um, which I thought was, was a great uh, form of exercise. Uh, squash because it, um, it actually helps with your reflexes a lot and uh, your fitness level as well. So um, I always believe that you know fitness mm. is a big thing when it comes to any sports, and um, it, it it's a big uh, it's it's a big advantage I would say. Um, mm. Keep the body in good health and the mind in good health, and uh, I think it's so important, John.
0: Looking back now, when did you first become conscious of this fatigue? About the middle of last year.
1: Probably a little bit later than that, I would say about a month, month and a half before they diagnosed me as um having two blocked arteries. Mm. I would say a month and a half before that. so it it didn't it wasn't for a long time, but um it was it started then, and um I just said, "Look, let me go for a blood test, let me just check everything's okay. I thought maybe I was just lacking something." Mm. Um, which I thought the blood test would bring out and say, look, you might be lacking iron, you might be lacking some sort of uh, vitamin or whatever it was. And I thought, I'll just um, obviously get back, get get onto them, onto those vitamins if the doctor suggests them. Yeah. And um, off I'll go. But um, yeah, it was a very, very, it was a big shock, um, yeah. the, the outcome of the tests and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a bit devastating for me
0: yeah so the thought of a cardiac problem never once entered your head.
1: No, it didn't. Um I always knew it's always good to just every year you know go for a checkup, which I kind of did, but um obviously, this year um, was a different result. and um look, I've accepted it, and um I'm glad it was was picked up early because it could have been devastating, could have been fatal, um not. Not only for myself, but maybe my other riders um, could have happened in a race, you know, so maybe it was a blessing that um, they picked it up early.
0: Mm. Now, what was the story with the Bow Desert Barrier Trial? Uh, You experienced some chest pain later, but you brushed it off. What happened there?
1: Well, it was just a normal trial where I rode a filly and um, she kind of, I was pulling up and as she was slowing down, she just whipped to the left and um, I just hit the hit the turf. Mm. Um, I thought it was my shoulder at one stage because that was a bit sore. And then later that night, got into bed and I thought, oh, I've got a bit of a chest pain down the middle of my chest. I thought nothing of it, you know, maybe maybe mm. due to the fall, the barrier trial, because mm. you know when you get to our age, you know, it's all the aches and pains. It gets worse <laughs> when you oh, fall. Yeah. So
2: yeah.
1: I brushed it brushed it aside and just continued, uh, you know, racing. And um, eventually, you know. Or what the the shortness of breath and and the, and the fatigue yeah. and being lethargic kind of um, got me to go to the doctor and, and get one of those tests tests done and then from then on it just snowballed.
0: Yeah. Sure did. And,
1: um, yeah.
0: Now, Rob, we've got to point out that you've been a smoker for your entire riding career. Not an excessive smoker, but a regular one obviously, to help suppress hunger. There have been a lot of smoking jockeys over the years. I'll bet it was the very first question the doctors asked you.
1: It was. It was, definitely. They said, look, how many do you smoke a day? I said, look, I smoke this much a day. Um, how long have you been smoking for? And I explained to them. I, I think smoking plays – look, it's, 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 not a, it's not a good habit at all for anybody. But I think we just do it just to suppress our appetite, and um, instead of putting some food in your mouth, you know, you light up a cigarette, and, um, yep. and, and kind of go from there. But um, it definitely was part of um, of, of, um, of of the one of my bad habits. Um, I don't say I totally blame smoking, but it did play a big part. I do also blame the big energy drinks. I was drinking a lot, um, mm. probably more than I should have. I think that maybe also could have caused the calcium buildup. Um, not enough water. Um, it was more um, electrolytes, more uh, vitamins, more this race days, and uh, rear bulls, mm. you know, um, before races, after races. Um, not in, Like I said, it, it, it just didn't help the situation, especially um, at my age. Um, but um, I needed to change my diet. And, um, but what happens is you, you just don't think of that, Um, you know, you kind of think you, you know, when you're doing this sport and you're quite fit, you think you're invincible, but it did catch up eventually. And because every year I've gone for a test, doctor said, you're as healthy as a horse. You're fine. Um, and it was just this last test that, um, Mm. because I hadn't been for a blood test for probably a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and I think from that to the, to the energy drinks, to the smoking, Pulls all that up, so yeah. Uh, all in all, yeah, shocking habit, um, you know, and diet and all that, but did play a part. But we're here where we are, and um, I've got to change all that. So,
0: which I have. You'd be aware that Nash Rewilla just a few weeks ago was rushed from the Warwick Farm barrier trials to the Liverpool Hospital uh, when he had chest pains and breathing difficulties. Nash is also a smoker, or he was. He hasn't had one for about a month. He was telling me the other day, and he said he's a heck of a lot better, and he's back riding. Rob.
1: Yes. Look, his was obviously not as severe as mine, but it could have been had he not, you know, had that not happened to him at track work. Mm. You know, Nash would have just continued like we all do, mm. just brush it aside. But I think the chest pain, the shortness of breath, and lightheaded, light I think that was there was a major red flag. And um, it's great that um, he went and got it sorted out mm. um, because you, you need to get onto it straight away. Um, make no mistake, it doesn't matter really your age, I think. I would say probably in, from your 30s onwards, you've got to be careful. Um, even though you are off it, it doesn't mean that this can't happen to you. Um, and I think Nash, being a vigorous rider as well, and being a smoker like myself, um, didn't help, you know, but I mean, what do you do, you know? You, you, you're that type of rider, you're vigorous, you give everything you you're 110%. Um, and I think that also plays a part on the heart, you know, the strain of it.
0: Let me take you back to your early years in South Africa. You were one of five FRAD children born and read in the famous coastal city of Durban, a great racing town, although there wasn't a hint of racing in your family. I think somebody said to you one day, Robbie, you should be a jockey.
1: Exactly, John. Well, look, I was at, what happens in those days when I was in South Africa, you get to, after high school, these are, it's compulsory to have two years military service. But because of my size, mm. um, I was exempt uh, simply because I wouldn't be able to carry all those big backpacks and mm. and all that. And um, so I was exempt and the other yeah, option was to apply to the jockey academy and, and just see if they accepted me, um, so I did apply and um, I had a meeting where they measure you up <laughs> to see if you're going to get heavy or too tall or <laughs> or something like that. You know, yeah. they, they said to me, "Look, we'll measure you up, we'll have a look, and we'll decide and we'll let you know." Yeah. So obviously, you're just waiting around, and um, the phone call came. I said, "Yeah, well, yes, you've accepted." Um, yet um, uh, it's that these offices at a certain date, certain time. And uh, when you go, you, you pack all your clothes and, and all that, and that you go from there in a bus to the Jockey Academy, and uh, that's where you, st- you start your five-year apprenticeship.
0: Mm. Well, both Jeff Lloyd and Glenn Schofield have told me that Academy was no place for the faint-hearted. Discipline was ferocious. In fact, Jeff went home after a week. I don't know if you're aware, Rob, and his father sent him back
1: yeah, the, those days, John. You know, their parents were pretty hard, uh, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, you know, it was uh, it was a case of, no son, you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna finish this. Um, mm. Don't give up. There's no point in giving up on anything, um, and just get back there and give it your best shot. If after a couple of years it doesn't work out, the academy'll let you know. And if you're quite willing to leave on your own accord, that's fine as well. But at least give it a go. And I think. Mm. Um, Jeff must thank his father for that yeah. because look at the success Jeffrey's had Yeah, um, he's been a great rider from the time I think he threw his leg over a horse um, and to the time that he retired mm. he's been a phenomenal rider and um, we all kind of looked up to him and other senior riders and uh, it was just great to watch them in action on the big days and, and on the big group races And uh, it was just lovely and we, we we got a lot of experience from that
0: mm. Well, you finally gained an apprenticeship with a highly respected trainer called Vaughan Marshall. And you tell me this man had a, a, a significant impact on your life.
1: He did, John, because he actually – I was still an apprentice, but at the same time I was a stable jockey. And mm. it was very rare because normally they'd like to use the senior riders. But Vaughn, as well was a young up-and-coming trainer. So he kind of thought outside the box and he said, you know what, I'm going to give this kid a chance. He'll be my apprentice and he'll be my stable jockey. Mm. And actually it worked out very well because we had a lot of success together. Mm. And uh, he was a very, very good trainer and he still is today. Yes. So, um, yeah.
0: Rob, you may be moving around a little bit there. We were getting a bit of interference on your phone. I might have to get you to sit still, mate, which is something you're not accustomed to.
1: No, I actually am sitting still. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not too sure what it is, but
0: it's the wind blowing in a
1: lovely little spot? It could be the wind, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of a breeze outside, but just let me know if if if, if it's uh, effect I could also move to somewhere else where it's where it's less windy. But um, let's see if I can do that.
0: Righto, mate. Vaughn Marshall. Uh, no, are you okay at the moment? It's okay at the moment, Rob. Yep. Vaughn Marshall didn't train your first winner. That distinction went to Jackie Gorton, who put you on a horse called Barberton at Clarewood. Big day. You were a little puzzled before the race when he took your whip off you.
1: That's correct, he did. He was one of the old-school trainers, and um, he knew when his horse was ready and plus. John, it was 1,000 metres up the straight, so he didn't think I needed it, not on this horse anyway, because he was just a typical sprinter, built like a sprinter, um, solid horse jumps and very very quick he said, son you just sit still on him and just push him out mm. he'll do the rest for you so it was was a great experience and um you know i had like probably i can't 50 50 60 rides before that Ooh. um and um but there, there there was the struggle then you know it was uh, one of those um never give up situations you know and you just kept going and you knew your winner's gonna come but mm. um we were we were tough we were hard those days and we kept going, and eventually, yeah, the horse won, and I was I was so excited. You just never seen such a big smile and such a youngster before. And, <laughs> and in fact, that same horse was my second winner <laughs> next time yeah, out. Yeah,
0: really, first two.
1: Um, same same thing, no stick. Mm. Um, and then from then on, I got the support that um, I was going to get, and um, yeah, it, it it rolled on from then on, and um, yeah, it was very successful apprenticeship, yeah.
0: The dream of every aspiring trainer and jockey in South Africa is to win the race they call the Durban July at Gravel Racecourse. It was first run in 1897 over a mile, but the distance has been gradually increased over the years to 2,200 metres. You won it twice. I think the first time on protest. 1994 Spacewalk was the horse.
1: That's correct, John. Um, In fact, uh, a very, very good trainer called Terence Millard uh, had a horse called Surfing Home um, Mm -hmm. in the race, who won the race. I ran third. Um, No, sorry, I ran second. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I ran second. Mm -hmm. And the third horse protested against the winner because of interference in the straight because Surfing Home was a big horse and uh, he used to roll around a bit and um, I think he interfered with him twice up the straight. So he threw in the protest and I knew, well, if he gets it, that promotes me up to up to first, but look, the feeling's not the same because it's a race nah, you want to win not. outright. Mm. But someone said, "Oh, it can't be a nice feeling to win it on protest." I said, "Never mind." I said, "The checks there, the checks in the bank." I said, "That's a good, that's <laughs> a good check." That I said, "I'm happy with that." Yeah. But yes, and I said I was determined to win it outright, outright after that. Um, and it took a while it uh, took before nine I did.
0: nine years to be exact. That's and, correct. Yeah, and your second correct. July win was on a horse called Dynasty. Now. I was going to leave him until we talk about your favourite horses later, but let's do it now. I love the story. You were back in Durban after a stint in Hong Kong when a trainer called Dean Kannemeyer asked you to come and ride an unraced horse in a track gallop, and you were in for a hell of a shock.
1: Oh, John, I, I was. Um, in fact, when he asked me which horse to work with, I looked at him very puzzled and I went, are you sure? Because the horse I'm working with is a group one winner mm-hmm. and my horse dynasty hasn't had any unraced. Mm-hmm. So I said, are you sure you want to do this? He said, I'm <laughs> very, very sure. He mm-hmm. says, that's how much I think of the horse." So, um, he just said, look go on the course proper from the 1400. Oh, you just sit <laughs> three lengths behind the horse called free my heart. Mm-hmm. Let him do the donkey work. Um, and just up the straight, join him and see what this horse has got. I said, you sure? I said, you don't want me to maybe lead and him sit behind me? He said, no.
2: Yeah. I
1: said, okay. Anyway, um, cut a long story short. Turning from home, I picked this horse up and he went straight past the group one winner. Gee. Um, and I went, wow. I said, I'll come back. I said, this is one of the nicest horses I've ridden um, so far. Mm. Um, you know, as a youngster and unraced, I said, "This is this could be a champion. Um, but, you know, sometimes horses do do that at track work. They do show that before they race and sometimes disappoint you on the racetrack. Anyway, I got off. I said, look, I'm here for another month. Uh, let me ride him first, mm. first, first, time out. He said, sure, no problem. You know? Mm. And, um, he, he entered him for at Gravel as well, mm. um, over 1600 meters, uh, first start. It could have been 14 or 16. Up. I could mm. be corrected first up uh, under lights. It was night racing It started and um so I said, um you, you sure you don't want to run him in at twelve hundred or, or whatever, just you know, let him find his feet and no, go straight to the fourteen hundred. Well he won by three lengths, four lengths and then just hard held. Mm. I went, Wow, this is this is a race horse and he was still a cult at the time, you know, and um just a fiery horse, you know, he, he knew he was a cult, he knew he was a man. Mm. And he would test you a few times, but um, that was just him. And then obviously he went on and he won a big group one then. And he won a lot of group ones at the time. You know, I was in Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. someone else was riding him. But um yeah, so I eventually got on him um as a three year old and was which was very hard to do those days and win the big group one race like that mm-hmm. as a three year old. And um he, he did it drawn twenty out of twenty. So over two thousand two hundred, which is also pretty tough, you know, because he was a bit of a keen going horse and you had to get him to settle and um, you know he wasn't easy. So eventually, after about 400 meters, 500 meters, I only got into settle because he was keen. He was pulling. I was four wide, mm. three wide, and eventually the closest I got in was three wide, three deep. Mm. Um, and he still won. So mm. you know that's how good he was. Mm. And Look, eventually become my top sire. Then, so yeah, just shows you.
0: Yeah. Well, to this day, you put him in your top four or five horses uh, with which you've been associated.
1: Yes, definitely. He will be up there with the top four for sure.
0: Mm. Another famous South African horse race is the one known for many years as the J&B Met. It's now called the Sun Met. It's run over 2,000 metres at Kenilworth in Cape Town. You were 32 years old, Rob, when you won it in 1996 on La Fabulous.
1: Um, yeah, it's um – um. He's, um yeah it, it's a it's a lovely race, John. it's it's a great time of the year in Cape Town it could say it's their season their their summer season their summer carnival and um and Cape Town in, in summer is the most beautiful place um that you will get you know honestly it's it's lovely it's um and Kenilworth is such a beautiful big fair track the only thing in Cape Town is that they don't go as quick as other se- uh, other provinces or states because of the wind. They have a very strong wind called the Southeaster, mm. and um, it's kind of head-on turning for home, so it blows head-on, and everybody just tries to get cover and sit as long as they they can and go as slow as they can, mm. and then they kind of sprint. But yeah, he, he's a horse I rode in a, in a race called the Queen's Plate mm. um, before that, and um, I kind of ran a nice, nice fifth, soft fifth. <laughs> mm. When I say soft fifth, I gave him a go, but not as hard as I should have because <laughs> – <laughs> if he won that, he, he gets a bit of a handicap and then goes up in the weight. So yeah,
0: you, sh- you looked after him.
1: I looked after him and then I got <laughs> off and I said, we're ready for the big one, you know. Yeah. So the trainer said, you sure? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know. He's mm-hmm. coming with a lightweight, I think, and, um, yeah, and he won. So very, very nice owners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they breed a lot of horses there at the time. And uh, I think it was their first group one winner. So lovely race. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lovely place to be, Cape Town. Yeah.
0: Mm. You don't think you're the first bloke to ever look after one, do you?
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, sometimes, John, you know, you, you know, you, you got bigger fish to fry. Mm. That was the race, which was the JNB. Um, that was his, his his race picked out for him. Um, it's no good hammering them before you get to those races because you can send them over the top, mm. and then come the big one you know, they kind of get flattened uh, out on you and um, they, they can be disappointing.
0: Yep. If you add up the total number of stints you had in Hong Kong, you get a total of eight years. You took to yes. the racing in Hong Kong like a duck to water and you gained a big following among the local punters. Now, you were originally lured there by a trainer called Ricky Yu who was adamant he wanted a South African jockey because of the tremendous impression Basil Marcus had made over there.
1: That's correct. Uh, Basil and before Basil was another jockey called Barty Lisha, mm. who um, I think was a stable jockey for Brian Can, And um, he had a lot of success, and that opened the door for Basil as well. And then, of course, Basil opened the door for the rest of us. Um, and anyway, it, it worked out well. Didn't have the best season, but... Um, uh, I always knew the next following season I was going to apply for a club jockey's license, which gives you more opportunity to freelance and ride for everybody, um, which was probably what you need in Hong Kong. And I don't think they do stable jockeys at the moment, um, so um, I think it's all club jockeys. So you know, it gets mm. every, everybody an opportunity to freelance and get the better odds and, and spread yourself out. Mm. Um, but yeah, Hong Kong's Hong Kong was a great, great. Um, um, I, I would say successful story in my career. Mm. Um, I was probably fortunate and I consider myself lucky that I got on some nice horses there. So, mm. yeah.
0: And we'll talk about one of them, Robbie, after we clear this commitment uh, on okay. our podcast. In fact, he was more than a nice horse. He was one of the top four that you had the great pleasure to ride during your stellar career. Back with Robbie Fred, after this. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance. The complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. We're back with Robbie Fradd and we're talking about uh, one of the best horses he ever rode, the great fairy King Prawn. Your association with this horse began uh, when he was transferred from Ricky Yu to Ivan Allen, the remarkable Singaporean trainer who won three Hong Kong premierships. Allen was the trainer when Fairy King Prawn became the first Hong Kong horse to win a Group 1 in a foreign country. He took the horse and Robbie Fradd to Japan to win the famous USADA Kinine over a mile in Tokyo. What a kick that must have been for a South African jockey.
1: Um, yeah, John, one of the highlights of my career for sure. You've um, never been to Japan before. Always watched racing there. I know it's... it's um, it's, it's kind of the pinnacle of Asian racing uh, it's tough um, they look after their own in Japan they look after their own riders and um, just to go to the foreign foreign country on, on one horse and have one ride in one race over the two days it was just um, yeah it, w- it was great it was a great feeling great experience I will say that um, walked to track, worked him on Saturday walked to track on Saturday mm. Um you know, decided we, we, where we're going to sit, where we're going to position him, where we're going to let it, peel him out and let him go. Um, so, you know, it doesn't always work out like that, but fortunately it did with me. And um, I think also because he was such a good horse um, that he he played a huge part in the chair.
0: Well, it was six months later when you and Fairy King Prawn failed by a whisker to beat Sunline in the 2000 Hong Kong mile. The mayor led, as she usually did. You gave her probably eight lengths from the top of the straight. The crowd went wild. A worldwide television audience thrilled to the brilliant call by David Raphael, who called the combatants the horse of the Hong Kong and the mayor of the world. Rob, that was one time when a second placing was almost as good as a win. Your horse went off the planet that day.
1: Oh, he did, John. Um, Look, make no mistake. I said to Ivan, we're taking on one of the best mares I've ever seen, you know, at the time. I said, this mare is as tough as nails. And I said, if she leads and leads comfortably, I said, we are going to struggle to run her down. I said, someone needs to put pressure on early, um, and then maybe we have the chance. Mm-hmm. I said, I might have to go a bit earlier than I normally do, but I said, I don't really want to do that and take him out of his comfort zone. Yeah. I said, but this is the best he's ever going to run against. Um, and if he gets close and wins it or wins it, I said, then he's done himself so proud. I said, because this is a proper, proper mare. And um, you know her record speaks for itself.
2: Mm.
1: And um, she's just tough. And she used to break horses' hearts. They used to try and take on the top of the straight. She just breaks their hearts. And, um yeah. He was that strong. So yeah, getting close as close as I did um, was a bonus for me. Um disappointing I never won it, but um, the horse ran ran out of his shoes and um, that's how good he was he was just such a such a hard try and big hearted horse. Yeah. And yeah, disappointing we never got up, but um, you know, great, great thrill too. Yeah, must... not only for the crowd <laughs> as well in Hong Kong.
0: Oh yeah. You must have been in front of Stride Past the Post.
1: I was, I was, Mm. yeah, I was, yeah. I needed another couple strides. That's all I needed, Um, and I get it. Mm. But in saying that, um, you know, it's happened, and um, I was just happy to be a part of it,
0: John, you know. He won 12 of his 26 starts. He ran 10 seconds. He was a hero with the Hong Kong crowds, and they were disappointed when he was retired in 2002 after undergoing surgery for a... Serious leg injury. I think he was used at a riding school in Hong Kong for a while before being officially retired in New Zealand. How privileged you must have been to have seven or eight rides on Fairy King Prawn.
1: Yeah, and and all of those rides were all in group races, um, you know? Um, mm. So that was the exciting part because um, there was a bit of there was quite a lot of pressure um, riding horse like him because. He was the horse of Hong Kong, so you know you had everybody riding on your back, and Mm. you know, um, so the pressure was there, but you know, that just teaches you, you know, teaches you, um, how to handle it, um, and maintain your, your kind of, um, how do you say, um, your composure, Mm. your, your just relax and, um, and see what happens, and, um, just, just ride him the way he loves to be ridden. Mm. And, um, yeah, he was just such a good horse, and, um, very blessed and very honoured to be to have been a part of his career, John. You know, and look, it takes someone like Ivan Allen to condition a good horse like that. You know, it's it's um, and he did a remarkable job. He was bold. He he did things that um, the horse hadn't done before. Uh, funny enough, when he got in, that horse had never run at Happy Valley. Mm. Funny enough, so he took him to Happy Valley. Um, I think it was his first start with Ivan. He took him. I think it was a Group Three sprint. Mm. over 1200 at happy valley and i uh, said you know he's never run yet he said yeah no no problem we'll run him yeah. <laughs> and of course he carried top weight and um i gave some of those nice sprinters a lot of weight and um just you know, i just too good struggled to hold him to any foam. he just peeled him out and he just went bang yeah um and uh, i think 133 pounds he had on his back mm. and um he just yeah blew them away so it was exciting it was great you know and it's funny mm. he's a horse that if he, he nearly never got past to race because every time he did a barrier trial on the sand, he would jump and turn left. Mm. And I'm going, you know, wow, well, well, this is not good. So Ivan says, oh, we've got to qualify him. We've got to get him, you know, um, past. So I said, let's, let two do trials at the happy Valley on the turf. Mm. See what he does. Jump straight. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, that got him qualified. And his first start, I wanted him. Mm. Um, and, um, we 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 were taking on a horse, a youngster um, of David Hayes, mm. and David Hayes had his horses prepared at Lindsay Park before they came to Hong Kong. So, you knew you had to have something decent mm. first up uh, to beat his youngsters. Um, and I think myself and Basil fought to finish out for the last 300 together, head mm. and head. Mm. and I, I got him on the line, yeah. yeah. So then I knew, wow, this is, this is a good horse because mm. David's horse went on to win, I think, the next five or six in a row mm. before, before it went wrong, yeah.
0: Yeah. Hong Kong owners and trainers seem to regard the derby as their most coveted race, owners especially, dream of a derby win. Unlike derbies in any other part of the world, this one has been for four-year-olds only since nineteen eighty one, you won it in two thousand on a horse called Keen Winner for Tony Millard.
1: Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, similar thing, you know. I rode him in a, in a I think it was an eighteen hundred the time before, and I think he ran up third. I could be wrong, but um, another another one I got off. I said, look, he's ready for the Derby. The source, um, he's ready to go. Uh, let's see what he does. And um, you know, obviously, Tony's father was a great trainer back in South Africa, so. He had great, uh, a lot of great grounding um, from his father, a lot of experience from his father. Um, and, yeah, yeah, the derby is – the derby and the Stewards' Cup are probably the two main local feature races, group races, that uh, a lot of the Hong Kong owners love to win. Um, so um, to win the derby was – yeah, it was another feather in the cap and um, mm-hmm. it was a great experience as well,
0: yeah. You mentioned the Stewards' Cup. It was good for you. You won it three times and one of those winners – was Electronic Unicorn, a horse you include in the top four or five you've ever ridden. He was trained by a remarkable trainer, Aussie John Size, who's been a phenomenal success in Hong Kong.
1: Oh, i tell you what, what a horseman. Great horseman, John. Um, I don't think you'll get much better than this man, mm. and um, he just knew what to do with his horses. He just knew his horses back in and out. Um, and um, yeah, he's luck. You can see his success in Hong Kong has been phenomenal. Um, but he, but I always knew he'd have a lot of successes, man, because he's just a great horseman and um, just a, a lovely man as well, just general. Yeah. And um, yeah, that that he he also took over that horse. And, um, I think someone else had him, but I don't know if they raced with him. I, I could be wrong, John. Mm. But um, he took him over, and of course he was a similar racing pattern as Fairy King Prawn. Get back and flash home and great turn of foot, beautiful, just to ride and what a gentleman of a horse. Actually, both of them were just gentlemen, just mm. lovely, lovely rides you know, and all, all around. So yeah, um, yeah, it, it made it made my job a lot easier um, that two good trainers were training these horses and um, mm. and him being the good horse he is uh, made my job easier. Yeah.
0: Yep. You're justifiably proud of a jockey's premiership win in Hong Kong in your very first full season there. And you achieved that distinction against some of the best jockeys in the world. That was good to have on your CV. It
1: was. It was actually a goal of mine that I set um, from the previous season where I spent uh, with a jockey club only three months, the first three months, um, because the middle three months is allocated for the European jockeys. So, after the first three months in Hong Kong, um, my second season there, I uh, finished on top with uh, 21 winners and um, I had to go. Mm. So, I begged them for an extension, you know, just can you give me an extension? And they obviously allocated um, those three months for, for some of the European riders that they already um, gave the go-ahead to come over. So, they said, look, we can't, but mm. the th- last three months of the season, there's a possibility there'll be an opening. Um, just we'll let you know. Yeah. So, I went back home and I kind of sat by the phone most of the days and um, got the call and went back for the last three months. So mm. uh, I was there basically six months. Yeah. And Basil Marcus beat me by two or three winners, I think. So mm. I only been there six months. Yeah. And uh, had I got the extension, I'll probably beat him. Yeah. Um, and then the next season, I said the championship is mine, and that was my goal. And I I did everything uh, possible, humanly possible, uh, to win it. So. Um, Sacrificed a lot of things, um, put my head down and um, just gave it 110%.
0: Yeah, good. And it worked
1: out well, yeah.
0: Well, it's on your record and they can't take that away from you. That's true, yeah. When your Hong Kong contract terminated, you accepted an offer to ride in Singapore for the highly respected trainer Patrick Shaw. You'd made a couple of flying visits previously, and on one of those trips, you won the Singapore Derby on our Al staff for Patrick That's Shaw. Great. So you already had an association up and running.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Well, I, I, rode winners for Patrick before I went to Hong Kong. He was in, when he was in South Africa, mm. um, I rode a lot of winners for Patrick and, um, another great trainer. And not only that, John, a good, good friend of mine, um, that, um, you know, I can pick up the phone anytime to him and have a discussion with him. Uh, he's always there and, um, just a, just a good man in general. And, um, Great trainer. Yeah, so um, Mark Duplessis was actually riding for him. And then Mark had to go back to New Zealand. So uh, Patrick, you know, spoke to me. We we discussed it. And I said, you know, maybe it's time for a change. Let me come to Singapore. And um, so I went. And um, yeah, but uh, earlier, prior to that, he flew me over for the derby and uh, was owned by a good friend of his, which was Bernard Cantor, um, who actually started off investing bank. Mm. Um, so, and then eventually they sponsored the the English Derby Vestick. So, um, and yeah, it it was a great experience, bucketed with rain but that Singapore, you know, and, um, I had a lovely experience Lost my flight that night because I got the times all wrong. And anyway, so I got on the next flight as quick as I could with the trophy and I I was very happy with that. Oh yeah. And you know, I loved, I love. it doesn't matter where you ride a Derby winner. The Derby's
0: a Derby, John. Oh, my word. It's
1: words. an important race all over the world, you know?
0: It certainly is. Great prestige, great history, great tradition. Now, during your time in Singapore, you formed an association with another great horse. You got to ride the remarkable Rocket Man, who retired in 2016 with a record of 20 wins from 27 starts. At one time there, you won eight straight on the horse, and you rode him in three of his four line city cups. They tell me he could be a little spooky on occasions. Rob,
1: he could. He was. Um. He was a horse. He 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 notices a lot of things. It doesn't matter even if you you, you kind of going at a good strong tempo, um, at a galloping speed. He would notice a lot of things, and um, I don't say shy for him. He'd more if there's anything on the track shadow or whatever, he'd jump it, but when he'd jump it, all four feet would go off the ground, you know, he was that type of horse, but mm. um, all the ability in the world, um, just, uh, he, he wasn't bred in the purple, John, um, Yeah, I think for me, he was a freak uh, type of horse, and um, mm. took, took me 40 minutes to work him, because he would walk five strides, stand there, stare into space, walk another five strides, stop <laughs> stare into space. So but you know what? It it was a pleasure working here because um yeah you know I enjoyed it. It was that forty minutes where it was so important and so relaxing because I knew yeah that um, this is a good horse and um, we'll be looking after him, yeah.
0: Yeah, you mightn't have been as patient had he been a slow coach.
1: No, probably, yeah, no, I probably would have. <laughs> you know, I enjoy horses I, I enjoy horses doing that, you know, I stopping after their yeah. work, stopping and staring to space. You've got to let them do it, you know, don't don't get after them and turn them around and say, come on, just let them stand there for 10 seconds if you have to, you know? Yeah. It's not it's not a lot. 10 seconds is not a lot. And, um, let them observe everything because that's what they do and that's their nature. Mm. Um, the good ones, yeah, they do it. So you've you got to let them do it. And, um, yeah, I was I was very honoured to be a part of him because I think – I don't think there's been any other horse in Singapore that's done what he's done.
0: No, so, remarkable.
1: So uh, that, that was um, – yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, Singapore, very proud of him.
0: Mm. Rocketman. man – had screws inserted in a front fetlock joint when he was a three-year-old, but he raced sound until very late in his career. That makes it even more amazing.
1: That's true. Um, Funny enough, it was one morning after I think it was one of the feature races he had run in, and I took him out just to give him a canter around and just trotted off, and he just didn't feel right, you know, and – I just got off him and I ate him back, and of course there was all panic because you know he's the <laughs> good as he is. So um, Patrick came running down, and um, and I just said, "Look, it doesn't feel right." And uh, sent him for X-rays, and that's what they picked up. It was a condylar fracture in his joint. Mm. So they put the two screws in, which they did a remarkable job. I will say the Singapore vets yeah. did a remarkable job on on the operation. And, um, and 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 as you know, he went on to do. Uh, phenomenal things after that, even with that 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 problem. But as you get older, John, you know it takes its toll, and mm. um, obviously. But uh, he had, he really achieved what he had done, and um, that that was enough, mm. and um, so he bowed out uh, uh, a very good horse and uh, with a great record.
0: The icing on the cake uh, with your Group One record uh, was a win in the very famous Cranji Mile in 2007 on a horse called Septembro Chove. Trained by your great mate, Patrick Shaw. Now, Robbie, time's on the wing, so I'm going to put the pace on a little bit here. I want to talk about your arrival in Queensland in 2014. You were 50 years old uh, when you arrived, inspired, no doubt, uh, by your countryman, Jeff Lloyd, who'd been going so wonderfully well in the Sunshine State. You were in demand from the moment you got amongst the Queensland riding ranks Many trainers supported you, including Toby and Trent Edmonds on the Gold Coast.
1: Yes, look, um, Queensland, I didn't really look at I um I came here for a break, I think, at one stage. because mm-hmm. um, my wife's uh uh cousin, uh little in Queensland and her and her husband and um anyway I came here and I said, Wow, you know, I love, you know, the weather, um, it's just more chilled and I said, You know what? Um yeah I've, I've set my goals i've had my great success in the past you know maybe it's just time to come here and um just relax a bit still ride my winners i love riding my winners john you know that i'll go anywhere mm. to ride my winners um doesn't matter that's all i want is to have my winners um there's nothing better there's not there's not a better feeling let's put it that way mm. and to have winners and um anyway and uh, settled in here and it, it took me about a year mm. to really hit my straps um I was still having the odd winner, but, um, yeah, it took about a year. Um, but Queensland, I think, is one of the hardest states to break into, uh, being being from other states or being from another country, I would say. Mm. Um, but, you know, I put my head down and I gave it my best shot. And eventually, um, I was accepted by a lot of the trainers, a lot of the jockeys. You know, it's it's, it's not easy coming from a foreign country. You know, you're treading on other people's toes. You, you're taking the bread... <laughs> You know the food little- off their table, but um you know the the jockeys here were just so accommodating, so they welcomed me and um mm. that's probably what I loved the, the most being here is the jockeys accepted me yeah um and that's why I said there's a good bunch of guys here that um you know they don't there's no airs and graces about them, mm. they're pretty humble a lot of them you know and um and they're good riders. You mm. know, I mean, your Jimmy Burns, your Mick calls, you know, the older guys. Um, mm. um, you know, your Larry Cassidy's. Uh, you know, they, the, the, the older senior riders. You know, they don't have to accept you, John. You know, it's just they did, mm. and um, I was so grateful for that, and uh, it made it so much more comfortable for me mm. um, to 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 start here. So, um, yeah, you know, like we we got some good 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 jockeys here, and um, you know, your youngsters, your Jimmy Orman. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's going places, this young man. Mm. Um, Great head on his shoulders. And you've got the younger ones, the Carl Wilson Taylors, the Jaden Lloyds, um, your little Taylor Marshall. He's a great little rider. So you have. You've got some talent. You've got your girls. You've got your Angela Jones. Going places. I have no doubt with that. Mm. Um, And obviously, there's a lot more that uh, will improve a lot Mm. and be successful,
0: you know. Well, it was Toby and Trent Edmonds who put you on your only Australian Group 1 winner. You rode the grand old horse, Tie five times for one win, and it was the win you wanted. It was the 2020 Stradbroke, beating Madame Rouge and Nikanova. Now, Robbie, Australia became the fifth country in which you'd ridden a Group 1 winner. Few jockeys can make that claim.
1: <laughs> no thanks, John. Like I said, I was probably very fortunate. Um, but at the same time, I did—you um, know—I was a very positive jockey, um, and I set myself goals. And the Stradbroke was one goal that I said, "I've got to win this race before I retire." I said, "I don't care what it takes, but this is a race I'll, i want to win. It's Queensland's flagship race, and um, everybody wants to win a Stradbroke because that's—you know—that's the whole. Thing about this industry is those kind of races, mm. um, and eventually I did. Unfortunately, it was during the COVID era. Um, but in saying that, still, you know, my name's up there, and it is still a Group One. So, um, great achievement, yeah. Great uh, training performance by Toby and Trent. I think it was their their, fir- their first Group One, I think, as well, mm. uh, in being partnership. So, and um, yeah, they were very, very supportive of me and gave me a lot of rides, a lot of support. Um, and I really enjoyed it, you know, and, and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great team effort, but, um, you know, and, uh, lovely old horse, tough old horse, had his quirks, but, um, yeah, great. Uh, he had a good weight in the race. So, um, mm. yeah, another one I got off the time before said, he's ready to go. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, it's well documented that you're a dad three times over. Uh, your elder daughter, Alexa, from your first marriage, I think is 21?
1: 30, 31.
0: 31, I beg your pardon. Yes, You started no, early, yeah. mate, and she yeah, lives she in the keeps, United Kingdom.
1: That's right. She keeps telling me she's getting old. I said, excuse me, mm-hmm. <laughs> look at your father. <laughs> See, that, that's <laughs> when you can start saying those kind of things, you know. Yeah. And you've got, yeah, a, then, yes, you've got a
0: 15-year-old yes. stepdaughter at home?
1: That's correct, yes. And a little boy, nine, yeah. you just turned nine. Uh, Yesterday.
0: Yeah, right. And their names, Robbie?
1: Oh, uh, My daughter's Alexa. My stepdaughter's Madison. Yep. And my boy is um, Liam. Good, strong Irish name.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Does he look yeah. a potential jockey?
1: Not at all, John. Not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Not interested. No. And no, Rob? I, I, I wouldn't want to get him involved in this industry. Um, I've seen the dangers, and I'm, I just don't think he would. it would be for him. I mm. he's only nine, and it's hard to tell. It's hard to say that because uh, he's so young. But mm. I, I honestly don't. I would never encourage him um, to get involved in this industry like, because of the danger side of it. You know, um, very mm. dangerous industry. Things can happen. You know, split uh, a second, and um, I don't want to be sitting up, uh, worrying, and sitting next to him in an hospital bed or something. Mm. It'll be too much for me.
0: Yeah. Oh, I understand that. And and your wife Natalie now has to get used to having you under her feet longer periods than she's been accustomed to.
1: That's correct. Um, <laughs> she says to me, Can, can't you get out the house? You're aggravating me. See, where do you want me to go?
0: You're getting it already.
1: I'm getting it. Yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> now I've got this new venture going to going to happen soon, very soon. Um, so um, that's going to take up a lot of my time because I'm determined to to work hard on this and, um, mm-hmm. and, and see the... See the ending of it, and see see the outcomes of it, and the can, yep. you know, um, contribute um, a lot to to these youngsters, and see how they improve, and if I can get them to improve and, and be mm. successful, that'll be that'll be great, you know, it'll it'll, it'll just help help uh, myself a lot. Yeah. Mm.
0: At Rob, are we at liberty to mention the new venture, or shall we save that for another day?
1: No, you can, you can, because I've had my meeting with Tony. Um, I've had a meeting with Chris Moore. Uh, well, not a meeting with Chris, um, more on the phone. Yep, and uh, so far there's there's the two there's the Melia Castle and um, Angela, so um and Tony just you know Tony Tony for me, I'll put him up there as one of the best trainers I've ridden for, one mm-hmm. of them, yep. definitely by far, yes, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um,
2: I've always
1: I've always said that I've always preached it, because it's true. I mean his his success here is just, um, you know, just great. It's unbelievable, and um, I can see why when you chat to the man. Yeah. You know, you know he's, um, he's a true professional, just chatting to him, and he knows every one of his horses. He knows exactly their habits, and he knows exactly how they need to be ridden. Mm. Um, and prepare, pre- uh, preparation-wise, to a tee, to a tee, you know, definitely, yeah.
0: Well, we're talking about Tony Gollan, of course, and what do you hope to be doing, Rob?
1: I'm going to mentor them, um, probably um, try and be at races if I can, um, if they go into the boardroom. I can be there for them, um, you know, and help them out inside there and the mental side of it, like chat to them before their races, after their races, tell them where I think they probably went wrong or could have done it differently. Mm. Um, But, you know, at the same time, help them out and say, well, next time, you know, Mm. uh, we'll do it differently. And um, I can improve them for sure. I know I can. Yeah, we're talking Um, about
0: apprentice jockeys, Brisbane apprentices.
1: Yes, or or any other young jockey if they're welcome to. Mm. You know, give me a shot, and um, I'm 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 willing to help them for sure. You know, I think it's a it's a great it's a great thing for me because I want to see how how if it bears fruit, you know, and, and mm. how I can do it, you know, and improve them and um, and see the outcome of it, and uh, that would give me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, Rob, there is nobody better qualified than Robbie Fred. The depth of your experience can't be measured. And it's to be hoped that many young writers of the future will be given the opportunity to learn under your tutelage. Congratulations on all you've achieved in a magnificent career. And thank you very much for giving us so much time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Best of luck, Robbie, Fred, and thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much, John. It's only a pleasure, to be honest, and it's an honour to uh, spend this time and and chatting to you and um, I can't thank you enough for that and um, I just appreciate the time that you're giving me. Thank you so much.
0: The Coolmore Classic is one of the more modest Group Ones of the Autumn Carnival, with six hundred thousand dollars on offer. It is, however, one of the most interesting because it brings together the best fillies and mares available under quality conditions over the Rosehill fifteen hundred metres. The winner is immediately exempt from ballot for the Doncaster and the Queen of the Turf. The Coolmore began as a principal race fifty years ago, becoming a Group Two in nine. 1979 and a Group 1 in 1996 when Coolmore took over the naming rights. For a few years it was the only Group 1 race in Australia for fillies and mares. Nowadays you can add the Empire Rose, the Tats Tiara, the Sangster Stakes in Adelaide and Sydney's Queen of the Turf. Opinions will differ about the best fillies and mares to win the Coolmore, but you'll get no argument if you include 1984 winner Emancipation and the great Sunline, who won it twice, the second time with 60 kilos. She's the only dual winner of the race. The Coolmore on March 11 will be supported by the important two year old races, the Pago Pago and the Magic Knight, plus four other group races, the Ajax, Farlap, Morris McCartan, and Sky High Stakes. Coolmore Classic Day, March 11, just one week out from the Golden Slipper. It's Group One racing every Saturday, right through to the championships on the 1st and 8th of April.